You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. It's like the market doesn't believe that this is for real, that we're in a dream. So I'm still more focused on discovery exploration because if gold stalls here at you know, 2000, uh, 2100, the, the, the market uh, will be inclined to say, oh, now it's stopped. Failing to appreciate that at $2,000 gold, the bar for what counts as a discovery intersection is a lot lower than it has been during the past decade of a bear market. Thank you for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. Today's show is brought to you by Osino Resources. Osino is a Ross Beattie-backed gold exploration company in mining-friendly Namibia. Osino's district-scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, and one of those mines, Osino's management previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. The company is cashed up, and Osino has a large drill program with steady news flow and catalyst for not only this year, but they're cashed up for the next couple years now. Osino trades in New York under the ticker OSIIF, and in Toronto under the ticker OSI. To learn more, go to OsinoResources.com. My guest today is analyst and newsletter writer John Kaiser of KaiserResearch.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to John's website. John covers the junior resource sector and publishes the Kaiser Bottom Fishing Report. So John, welcome to the show and I've listened to interviews with you over the years and one of my listeners actually requested that I bring you on the show. So thank you for your time. And one of the things that I've heard you say over the last few years is that you expect a discovery-led resource bull market. With the price of precious metals rising so much, it seems to me that it's a, a gold price-led precious bull market. Uh, what is your commentary and your expectation about it being a discovery-led resource bull market? I base that on the observation that where the money has been going into juniors, it's been juniors that have existing systems, gold, silver systems, uh, that aren't quite good enough to make it. They aren't even really optionality plays. But Bay Street in at least the last uh, three months has really put money into these types of projects where it is the junior taking control of its destiny and making the project bigger and better through exploration, through geological ingenuity. The gold uptrend, I think, has really caught everybody by surprise. I've been predicting that gold would reprice into the two to three thousand dollar range for for a couple of years now. It's happening faster than I expected, and we have kind of an interesting situation now where the optionality plays are coming to life in a big way. But the market really isn't taking this two thousand dollar plus gold seriously. In fact, even today. We're seeing a pause in the market and there's a bunch of red on the screen. It's like the market doesn't believe that this is for real, that we're in a dream. So I'm still more focused on discovery exploration because if gold stalls here at you know, 2000, uh, 2100, the, the, the market uh, will be inclined to say, oh, now it's stopped. Failing to appreciate that at $2,000 gold, the bar for what counts as a you know, discovery intersection is a lot lower than it has been during the past decade of a bear market. So right now I'm scouring for companies that have systems where money can go into the ground, where we can enjoy them, 
delivering results, showing that it's bigger and better. So I still think it's a discovery-led market. And there aren't that many optionality plays out there because they got all got cleaned out during the, the last uh, decade of a bear market. So John, we saw decades ago, BreeX, albeit it was a scam, kind of lead the market and pull the whole market up. We saw Voices Bay with Robert Friedland pull the market. Do you see any plays out there doing that? Because I, I don't. From my vantage point, I saw people hope in Novo, which that hasn't lifted up the whole market, at least thus far. Do you see any companies out there that have the potential to do that right now? You know, Great Bear is the one that has surprised the market the most. It has a close to a billion dollar valuation. It doesn't have a resource estimate yet. It's all based on that 22 kilometer LP fault structure south of Red Lake, which uh, emerged from their Dixie project, which is something a lot of holes have been drilled into, but uh, didn't really amount to much. They did some innovative uh, uh, sleuthing as to where the hinge zone might be and came up with good stuff. But even that was not what really drove the market. It was realizing that here's a fertile structure that goes down. It's a crustal scale structure, uh, structure, and it's got these splays off it, and there's potential there. They're pulling wonderful holes all over the place, and the market doesn't really regard this yet as real. And and you're right. There isn't the Voices Bay, the Ecaddy, the, the fake Briex, which was thought to be real at the time, that's driving this market, which is why it's interesting that money is going into these exploration plays. One of the ones that I'm watching that's on my favorites list is, is Zephyr Minerals, which is drilling a broken hill type target in Colorado. The beauty of this is if, if this were a actually delivered a Cannington clone such as BHP found in 1990, that thing would have an equivalent of $100 value for the stock if you didn't have any further further dilution. It's come up from $0.20 at the beginning of the year. It's bumping around $0.85.90. They've started drilling, and they probably will hit their first target uh, within a week or so. If they actually delivered on something like that, and you see Cannington uh, caliber uh, grades, you know, massive sulfide, zinc, lead, silver. This will be the kind of liftoff for the sector that will be reminiscent of what we observed in the late 90s. Because here's a play where you can actually see all the geology, all the geochemistry, everything pointing to it. And the stock hasn't really super taken off because the markets sort of say, well, we haven't had a big win in ages. But if you get one, the glass has switched from you know almost totally empty to half full. But that 90s market was a 90% full market. And something like Zephyr, if it were to deliver this type of elephant and you start getting into these double-digit number gains, that would really turn this market into a crazy discovery-oriented market with this big backdrop of gold and silver in the background. And in my view, We've also got an infrastructure renewal boom coming in several years to dig all the world's economies out of their hole, which is going to add the demand, the price, the price gains for all the base metals and other metals that go into real things. So we've got this fantastic three-layered situation of discovery attracting investors, gold and silver creating the excitement that 2000 draws and completely new audiences. And then we have the potential for all the other metals to come in behind it. And we're already seeing the market 
anticipate that because you know the economy is terrible right now and and yet a lot of these base metal stocks are starting to attract attention do you see a lot of the wins from the gold producers gold royalty companies uh, starting to be deployed into some of the smaller fish we're seeing cleanup type stuff for example we saw Orin, which is not really a gold producer um, acquire East Main, which has an advanced deposit and, and it's basically an orphaned company. So it's being acquired by, by Oren. And I think when you start plugging in $2,000 um, into these, these models, I mean, all the economic studies are based on about $1,300 as a base case price. There, there aren't that many companies for the majors to acquire. The, the one that's one of, and one of my favorites as a gold optionality play is Midas Gold Corp, which has that Stibnite Gold Antimony project in Idaho that has taken forever to permit. But they finally look like they have light at the end of a tunnel with a possible uh, mine approval in, in, the, in, in late 2021. This stock was as low as 26 cents during the the uh, March meltdown when everything got sold off, it nearly touched $2 this past week. And when you run the numbers uh, from their, 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 their pre-feasibility study at $2,000, you're looking at a stock that should be somewhere in the $5 to $10 range. And meanwhile, it's still sort of, it's gone up significantly from sort of the 60 cents where it started the year. The market's still not recognizing the, that the, the value that this higher gold price really implies for these companies. And there's tremendous leverage in these advanced projects. So I, I don't know when the majors will start making a move. Right now, they're enjoying the enormous explosion of cash flow that the higher gold price is doing for those who didn't forward sell their gold production. It's a lot easier for the smaller juniors to get funded right now for exploration programs. With, when we see that, we see a lot of these projects coming off the shelf and being brought back and presented to the market. If you're looking at a company that's taking on a legacy project with known baggage, what are some of the red flags that you would look out for and what would be some of the positive things that you would look for in order to have a catalyst and make you money? Well, part of the uh, rethink uh, sort of psychology that I think is at work is people don't want to just wait for the metal price to drag this, you know, 0.5 gram per ton uh, deposit of a couple million ounces uh, into the money. They want the company to use this awakening bull market to put more money into it to see if what there is, is all that there will ever be. A lot of money during that past cycle we had was, was, was involved projects that had been discovered ages ago that they acquired into the juniors, that they spent brute force money on just infill drilling, upgrading it, and not doing an awful lot of geology to see if this is maybe the offset from something completely spectacular. I mean, a classic old example of that was the OU Tolgoy project that Robert Friedland acquired for Ivanhoe from BHP in Mongolia, and it had this copper deposit at surface, which really didn't quite work at the copper prices at the time. They eventually did when the China super cycle kicked in. But they, Friedland went, put his people to work looking at the deeper potential, and they came up with the Hugo Dummett zone, which was several times higher in copper and gold grades, which was a completely new type of discovery. So I think uh, you want to see the companies not just wait for 
these, um, you know, somebody come along and buy. Uh, the biggest problem to to watch out for is is the location. Are you going to have um, social license problems? If you're in Latin America, you need to be very careful that uh, this isn't near some place where the local thugs are going to get in there and, and pretend that they're fighting for the people and start shaking down the company, blocking this and blocking blocking that. And uh, there's also uh, environmental sensitivities. Is it in an area where if you develop it, you'll have all the NGOs swarming in on you and saying, no, you're going to destroy the uh, downstream fishery or the, the watershed and things like that. These, these people obstructions, those are what the big guys are going to be very wary of. And if the junior you're placing your bet on isn't just handicapped by a you know, low grade that a higher gold price will make better, if it's also handicapped by these factors, it may go up a bit, but it'll end up just sort of stranded halfway out the bay rather than going all the way out, out to sea the way we want these juniors to do in this emerging bull cycle. With uh, baggage and issues, you mentioned salmon. There is Northern Dynasty Minerals up there in Alaska, a very controversial project. And in about the about a week ago, they announced that they confirmed they received the final environmental impact statement for the Pebble Project. Uh, what was your reaction to this? I think they have done a good job uh, of stress testing this. Uh, I mean, if you have some earthquake of the kind caused by uh, an asteroid hitting the planet Earth, we have much bigger bigger problems than, than a tailing dam uh, collapsing because of an impact uh, that big that triggers such a monster, monster earthquake. I think this thing was driven more by, uh, you know, wealthy people living in the area who made it their mission to oppose this project. Uh, there was an article in the New York Times which had a very unfair unfair title. This is really a copper mine with a significant gold credit, but they packaged it as a frivolous gold mine. I mean, technically, we don't need more gold. In fact, everybody who's a gold bug would be a lot happier if mining were shut down and banned so that there was not more gold brought into existence every year. So I'm glad that they approved that. It's not like decades ago when mining companies had no rules to go by, no big permitting uh, systems to make sure everything is engineered properly. So I was quite pleased to see that uh, this was finally being pushed forward and it did go through the proper cycle. The obstacle before was they didn't even let it go through the approval cycle, which I thought was completely unfair. When you look back on 2020 so far, we're in August, uh, what would you categorize or describe as your biggest investing mistake this year? Well, it's it's been hard to make mistakes this year unless you consider omissions to to buy to buy shares that you could have bought and that were staring you at the face in your face. But I would say the mistake I've made is I had a position in a company called Inzinc Mining, which I had supported for a long time. Its, it's chairman and CEO were CEOs of uh, two companies. One bought out for $800 million, the other bought out for $4 billion. So I assumed that they were reasonably competent. And yet several years ago, they raised a bunch of money. 
quietly spent it and then shifted the rest of the money from the West Desert Project to another one in British Columbia, which was acquired from the chairman. So it's kind of a self-dealing thing. And the stock sank to about two, three cents. And I should have, at the beginning of the year, just dumped my position, crystallized the tax loss, and shifted it into some other three to five cent stock run by technical people who were beat up by this market, but are now finally coming to life like some sort of desiccated frog that's been sitting in the bottom of a dried out uh, lake for, for a decade and all of a sudden is coming to life. In the case of InZinc, it seems like uh, nothing is coming to life and I should have sold that and redeployed into something with a lot more life to it. On a positive note, can you share with us one of your biggest recent winners in the last year? The, the stock that's done the best is Galway Metals, which has the the, the, the Clarence Dream Project in New Brunswick. Uh, I picked it up as a uh, favorite in, in in earlier this year uh, at, at about 30, 34 cents. And it's recently hit $1.93. They have raised money. They took a lot of dilution, but they have now 20 million bucks in the treasury. They've got five rigs going. And they're benefiting both from discovery expiration because they're taking this thing where they already had ounces. They've gone beyond the original targets. They're looking at it as, as a district scale. So this is the type of stock which is firing on both cylinders. Whatever ounces they've already accumulated are going up in value as the gold price rises. But their expiration strategy is all about building building new ounces, turning this into a multi million ounce camp. So that thing's up you know, almost 500% uh, in a period of about four months. So that, that's my best winner so far this year. Yeah, congratulations on that win. You're known for investing in these smaller micro cap juniors. You mentioned Midas, which is a advanced stage developer. Do you invest in the producers right now? That's an area where I don't have any real expertise. I've created an index that has about the 52, 52 producers that have at least 100,000 ounces of gold production per year. And that group is up about only 50% right now. When you get into these companies, uh, there's very detailed analysis that you have to do. And there's plenty of people better trained than that than I. So I tend not to pay any attention to producers. What type of feedback are you getting from your subscribers? Like what type of questions or any anecdotal stories you can share? Well, you, you, you started off calling this the Kaiser Bottom Fish Report and we're called Kaiser Research Online. But my historical expertise has been bottom fishing. And, and that's been a bit of a drag in the past decade where everything just seemed to want to stay on the bottom and, and go nowhere. So the subscribers that I have now they're looking for me to highlight these juniors that are sitting there that haven't really woken up. And, 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 and it's quite fun. I run a Slack workspace that's for subscribers only, where we have different channels for bottom fish favorites, rare earths, uh, precious metals. And so we're kind of engaged in an interactive activity. Most of the subscribers just lurk and and listen, but there's some who are active and it's become kind of fun as we use my search engine to rummage around and, and find these stocks that haven't really woken up or have moved from being below a 10 cents into the 10 to 19 cents range. I mean, at the start of the year, we had 53% of all TSX Venture listings uh, 
trading trading below a dime. That's dropped to 30% as these companies are waking up. So it's, it's a fun period right now. I think this will last until the, the rest of this year. Next year, it'll become a lot tougher. Everything will be much more higher valued, and you'll definitely need to have those companies which are able to keep delivering fresh news, making their projects better. I don't think uh, gold's going to go to the go up forever. I think it'll be probably bounce around in the 2000 to $2,500 range. And so that's when the market attention will turn back to the companies. What are you doing to make yourself better? Don't just wait for gold to go to 5,000 like some think. What are you doing? And that's that's the fun part. That's my specialty is to figure out the stories. What are they doing that's different from what they have done in the past? And is there a reason to believe that what they're about to do in terms of exploration could change the fundamentals of the company significantly? And that's back to our, your earlier question. Do I still think this is a discovery-driven market. The, the, the 2003 to 2011 period, it wasn't really discovery-driven. There were a few like Fruta del Norte and Eleanor that were, were new discoveries, but most of it was feasibility demonstration. In this market, there aren't that many deposits on which feasibility can be demonstrated. It's more about showing new discoveries. And you mentioned Osino as, as a sponsor of this particular show. Osino is one of my favorites. Uh, it's uh, doubled since uh, the start of the year. And they are doing brand new stuff in Namibia. It, it's all grassroots. Hyadon has got a great team. And they're not going to find billion dollar deposits. What they're going to find are multiple 200 million, 300 million dollar value deposits in that particular setting. And it's the ability to repeat this. They've got a method for doing this. And that's what fascinates me. They have a, a, a value creation method. It isn't just we've got this one fantastic project. The case of Zephyr Minerals, which I mentioned earlier, they have this one El Plomo section and there's either a, a, a multi-billion dollar Broken Hill type Cannington clone there or there's nothing there. You, you can't go elsewhere in there. Companies like Osino, they've got a whole strategy in it land position where they can find deposits that have never been found for before in this region, nor has any kind of exploration been done targeting this. So that's that's kind of a, a great example of a, a junior where you're going to see wealth creation through exploration, at the same time benefiting from a rising gold price because these deposits in this region are not super high grade. So in the range without any visible inflation, uh, raising the capex and the opex, uh, that's a winning combination. Yes, definitely agree. And I didn't ask John for those affirming words about Osino, and I agree wholeheartedly. And it's run by a great management team, and that's why they are a show sponsor. To learn more about John's service, Kaiser Research Online, I'm going to put a link in the show notes, and the website is kaiserresearch.com. John, thanks for coming on today's show and sharing your insights. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. 
the mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or a hundred thousand dollars, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility—certainly not the certainty—but the possibility of ten-for-one returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks, and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector, and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well, or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident, and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because、um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met, you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors, and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature, and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.